so good to see you. Uh, I'm Eric. Um, some of you I know, but I don't recognize because you're masks. So <laughs> I was driving here this morning, and I was thinking, when's the last time I was at an Aura campus? It was in February, the week before we shut down uh, church, of course, and the whole country shut down. That was the last time, so I've missed you guys. So I'm honored uh, to be here and to be able to share God's word. And we are uh, in the second week of this brand new message series that we kicked off last week called The Good Life. And if we were to line up 10 people in this world and said, hey, tell me what the good life looks like, you're going to get 10 different answers. And maybe even in this church, if I said, hey, tell me how you live a good life, you would tell me different ways. And Jesus comes along and says, I want to tell you how you can be blessed. I want to tell you how you can be guaranteed to live a good life. Now, when you read the Beatitudes, which are his blessing statements over us, it seems backwards than the world. The world says to live the good life, you need to be this or do this. And then Jesus comes along and said, I'm going to flip that upside down. I'm going to show you a different way. Last week, uh, Pastor Todd was here and he kicked us off the series with this interesting uh, verse. In verse 3 where Jesus says, God blesses those who are poor. It's not poor when it comes to financial means. It comes from when our spiritual bank account, when we look into our bank account, we see, man, it's empty. I can't do anything or be good enough to have a relationship with God. I need him to touch my life. And that's what he does when we recognize our need for him. And when we do that, he says, you get to participate with me in the kingdom of heaven. And now we're going to see what does this actually look like played out? How can we really understand how can we be blessed in a more significant way when it comes to our spiritual lives? And this is the next part of what Jesus says in the Beatitudes, in verse 4, he says this. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, it's in the Psalms, and he says, God is close to the brokenhearted. I know some of you, just with your life circumstances and some of the losses that you've incurred this past year, whether it's a relationship or a death, or loss of a dream because of COVID or a job loss, that there's some mourning happening, that the way that you're expressing yourself right now is through tears. And I'm grateful that God is close to the brokenhearted, that when we are mourning, he will comfort us. But at this point in Jesus's talk, in his sermon, he's actually not talking about the mourning that I just described when we're sad about our life circumstances. He's talking about a different kind of mourning, a different kind of sorrow, a different kind of sadness that has nothing to do with circumstances and all to do with our hearts. The Apostle Paul, he puts it this way to kind of flesh it out for us. He says in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, he says, For the kind of sorrow or mourning that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So what Paul is saying and filling out what Jesus is saying is we're not mourning our circumstances, we're mourning our sin. Now, when we think of sin, we think of different acts, different things that people do, and we say, oh, that's sin or that's sin. Instead of thinking about other people, let's think about our own self for a moment. The sin inside of us. Now, this sin, the word sin is a churchy word, and sometimes it gets lost in our culture, but the word sin literally means to fall short of God's perfection. Anyone perfect in here? 
No one even put a half hand up. And I saw if someone did, the spouse is like, no, you're not. <laughs> All of us aren't perfect, and we can recognize that. But do we actually mourn it? Are we sad about it? Have we ever stopped and, and seen the thoughts in our lives and some of the things that we do towards others and our attitudes towards God and, and the way we live? And have we ever thought, man, the way I'm living, I'm broken about that. I don't like what's in me. I don't like what comes out of me. I don't like how it hurts relationships. I don't like how it hurts my walk with Jesus. That's the kind of sorrow that Paul's talking about here. But oftentimes, we can settle for the last part of this verse. It says, worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Yesterday at our house, I don't know what it was. It must have been the rain. It must have been the continued uh, quarantine-like lifestyle that we live. But my boys, who are six and almost eight were awful. Like, I try really hard, like, Lord, just help me not get angry. And like, I can't even finish the prayer before just, boom, something else happens in my house. And my boys, they like to fight. I mean, like, fight. And they're always just going at each other, nitpicking. Sometimes it's little things. Sometimes they're punching each other. And Oftentimes, what my dream is when I call it, say, my six-year-old Micah, who was really tough yesterday. If I just say, Micah, listen, stop egging on your brother. Stop hitting him. Stop doing things. Like, my dream would be him to look up at me and say, Dad, you are so right. I've been hurting my brother a long time. Obviously, I'm hurting you and Mom. And I don't like that I nag my brother or my other siblings. I don't like that I punch my brother when I'm mad. And so, Dad, I just want you to know I'm never going to do it again. I'm going to change my ways. Wouldn't that be so great if he did that? No. You want to know what he does? Micah, go tell your brother sorry. Sorry! <laughs> and then what happens? They go back into the playroom. What do you hear two minutes later? Screaming, fighting, punching. It happens again. Micah, come here. Tell your brother, sorry, sorry. And then he goes, does it again, and he does it again, and he does it again. And it's like WrestleMania in our house all the time. That's what Paul is saying what happens when we are caught doing something we shouldn't. Or we live in such a way where we're like, I don't really like that. Oftentimes, we say to a spouse, we say to God, we say to ourselves, we say to somebody else, sorry. But we don't change our ways. We're not truly broken about doing it. We're broken about we got caught. And we don't want that person to be mad at us. So we say, sorry. But then we go back to our old life. That's what Paul's saying. It's like you can recognize that you do wrong things in your life. You can recognize your sin. But when you don't repent, which means to turn away from that and live differently, then that leads to a death. A spiritual death, a separation between God and other people. Oftentimes we have issues in our relationship with God or issues in our relationship with others. And it's usually God doesn't care about me. God doesn't hear my prayers. Other people are doing this. Other people are doing that. When's the last time we stopped and took an inventory of our own lives? And said, man, my attitude here, my anger here, what I'm doing when no one's looking on the phone, my control issues my lifestyle, the way I spend money, the way I'm lazy, the way I'm a, a workaholic. When's the last time that we took an inventory of our own life and we were broken about it? Broken that we live this life this way because 
Paul says when we have that kind of sorrow, when we say, I don't like what's happening in me. I don't like that I grieve God's heart with my life. I don't like how I'm living and hurting other people. He said, when we live that way, we move away from that sin, which leads to salvation, which means I'm leaving this behind, and I want Jesus to come in and fix me because I can't fix myself. The very best illustration of this, I think, outside of Saul to Paul, who writes this, is in the Old Testament, and it's Isaiah. Isaiah, normal guy like you and I, and he gets a vision of God. When I tell us to think about God, many a times, um, two pictures either come up. Once, if you're, if you're from more of a traditional view, you think God is kind of like boring and and he doesn't really care about our lives. We went to church growing up, and it was not relevant, so we don't think God's relevant to our lives. Others of us, others of us have more of like, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. He's my best friend. And that's true, but oftentimes we don't have a true vision of who Jesus really is, who, who God is, and what his throne looks like. And I want to give you an inside look and what that looks like, what God's doing right now on the throne. Isaiah discovers this. Look what happens in his life. It was the year of King Uzziah. And he died, and he said, I saw the Lord. Here's what he saw. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. So these angels, they're around the throne of God, this holy, perfect, righteous, majestic God. And these angels are around him, and they can't get enough of God. They can't get enough of his character. They can't get enough of who God is. That's why they repeat over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Somehow Isaiah gets this picture of God's throne. These angels are flying around him. They're just saying to one another how perfect, majestic, holy, God is, they can't get enough of God. And Isaiah, he looks at himself and he's like, oh man, it's not good. I see this perfect God and how unperfect and unworthy I am because of my life. My attitude towards life, my attitude towards God, my attitude towards others, the way I live, the way I talk, the way I just go about my life falls so short of this God who is so holy and perfect. It's the reason why he says it's over when he gets a view of God's throne. He says, I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. He doesn't see God and look at his life. He's like, sorry, God, but then continues to live his life like he always has. He gets a view of God, and he's undone. He recognizes, I fall so short of this God. I am unclean. I don't deserve to have that relationship with God. I love what Arthur W. Pink says, the closer the Christian lives to God, the more he will be broken or mourn over all that dishonors him. And this is the common experience of God's true people. It says the closer that we are to God, the closer we see him on his throne. The closer we are to uh, reading scripture, the closer we are through prayer, the more we recognize, oh my goodness, my life falls so short of what he asks me to do. 
we mourn that. I just want you to just take 30 seconds. I want you to just pretend you see God on the throne and how perfect and holy he is. And just take an inventory of how you've been living your life the last few days, weeks, and months. Are you willing to mourn that? Are you broken over that? Are you just saying, sorry, God, and then going back to your old ways? Just think about that for a moment. Isaiah, he, he comes undone. He's like, God, what am I going to do now? Even you and I, when we think of all the things we've done to hurt people, hurt ourselves, hurt God's heart, we're just like, I'm not worthy. I'm undone. What do I do? It's so heavy. God says he will bless you if you're willing to go there with him. He will bless you if you're willing not just to say, sorry, God, and then walk away and keep doing what you're doing. If you mourn it, if you're broken over it, and if you want him to fix it, he will bless you. Do you know how he blesses you? With his comfort. D.A. Carson, he says it this way, there's no comfort or joy that can compare with what God gives those who mourn. It seems backwards, but the more in touch you are with your sin, the more in touch you are with your brokenness, and you take that before God and you admit, God, I'm doing these things to hurt you, to hurt other people. I can't fix it. He will actually bless you. He will comfort you. He will give you joy. And it comes through forgiveness. All of us, when we do something against somebody else, there's nothing better than hearing them look us in the eye and say, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. That's exactly what happens to Isaiah. Isaiah gets this picture of God. He sees himself. He's undone. And then look at the next scene. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal, which symbolizes purity. He taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Comfort. He's broken over his sin. He realizes that he's fallen short and he needs God to touch his life so he can truly be whole. And what does God do? He reaches out to Isaiah. He touches him and says, I forgive you. If you're here today, and you're broken over the way you've been living your life, you don't have to walk out of here feeling guilty or feeling like you're always going to be broken or feeling like you can't change your life. That's what the cross is for. It's even ground at the cross. Your sins may look differently from mine. Mine may be worse than yours, but when we go to the cross, we're the same. And Jesus, by dying on the cross, says, every time that you commit this and you come to me, I will touch your life and I will forgive you. Some of you have been living a life in where you've been repeating the same sin over and over and over again. It's been hurting you. And every time you go to the cross, Jesus says, I forgive you. I'm giving you a second chance. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. And he saves us over and over and over again. We don't just cry out to Jesus one time and says, hey, I want to be in heaven with you. Please forgive me. And then we keep living our lives. No, we ask Jesus for forgiveness moment by moment so he can make us into the person he wants us to be. Getting rid of that disgustingness that is underneath the surface of our lives. 
You know what's so beautiful about that? He doesn't just say you're forgiven and go keep living the way you've been living. He actually says, I forgive you, and I want you to go out and help others discover forgiveness as well. Some of your family and friends, they don't go to church, they don't believe in God, that's fine. But let me tell you, they know that they're guilty of something. They know, and then they look inside, they're not perfect. And so the way they deal with that, their lifestyle, they either do more of something to push it down, they ignore it, they justify it. But really what they need is to say, hey, let's call it out for what it is. Here's your life. You know that you've done wrong. Wouldn't you want to be forgiven instead of having to stay in the same holding pattern all your life? See what happens with Isaiah? The Lord says, okay, now whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And he says, here I am. Send me. He doesn't say, send this guy over here who has his life together. Go send the pastor who knows the Bible. He says, no, send me. I know how broken I am, but I know how great his forgiveness can be, and I want to go share that with other people. You and I get that chance to do that. When we're truly broken of our sin, he'll comfort us so we can be a comfort to other people. But it only happens when we recognize what's going on in our heart. There's a story of a guy, he's a theologian, his name's G.K. Chesterton. In the 1900s, early 1900s, an editor of a newspaper Ask the question and add people right in, what's wrong with the world? If I were to ask you that question today, as you look around, what's wrong with the world? Many of us would say, oh, the pandemic's wrong with the world. That political party's wrong with the world. That person over here is wrong with the world. That race is wrong with the world. My spouse is what's wrong with the world. This over here is what's wrong with the world. We're really good at pointing fingers. G.K. Chesterton said, you asked regarding your article, what's wrong with the world? I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. He didn't point out anybody else. He said, I am. And when we can recognize it's me, God says, I can forgive you. And that's what we want to do today, to taste his forgiveness, literally. So we're going to do, worship team's going to come out, we're going to end our time with communion. And as we're taking communion today, I just want you to reflect on two questions. Would you do that with me? The first is this. What sin in my life have I just accepted? Something that I've justified, something I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. I've already been in this kind of lifestyle. I'm not going to change it because whatever reason, I'm lonely, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. It makes me happy, whatever. I just accept it. What is that one thing? And then when is the last time my heart was broken over it? I allowed God to come in and comfort me in that brokenness. The way we do that is we're going to take communion. So uh, people who are serving communion, could you just stand for me? And what you're going to do in your seats is you're just going to put your hand flat like this. Don't do this and try to grab it because we're in a pandemic. We don't like germs right now. So they're going to just place it right in your hand. But your hand sticking out isn't just receiving communion. What we're doing is this is symbol symbolism that here's my sin, God. Here's the thing I'm broken over, and I exchange this for communion. I exchange this for your presence. I exchange this for your forgiveness. And just hold the communion in your hand and thank God for it, and then I'll come up and lead us in communion. So you can pass that out right now. Thank you. 